yeah, some of those cool things. And then, and just sort of, sort of how, what God did in your hearts, you know, since, like, after the move to Kansas City and back here, and just what you would say to people. Just go ahead and give a little bit of your testimony of what God's done. Hello, microphone. Nothing? Oh, use the keyboard microphone. There we go. Test, test. Okay, there we go. Um, actually, it was two years ago uh, last week, my wife and I had an encounter with the Lord, a prophetic encounter. It was uh, a time in our lives when especially me and, of course, she being my wife, she bore the brunt of it. I was going through a real decline in my Christian walk. I was Not, not my Christian walk, but just in, in hearing from the Lord. I was just getting dried up, and I was just getting desperate. I hadn't heard from the Lord. Uh, I was getting to a place where it was getting pretty, uh, pretty sad. <laughs> anyway, um, during that period of time, the Lord just came and visited us. Uh, during a week, a prophetic week, an encounter with the Lord, just He romanced us, and we we came. Uh, okay. Um, Yes, he he drew us into intimacy with him. That's but, what romance means. Yes, he he romanced us. He showed up with roses. He and showed up. He showed up into our bedroom, and he just and he just began to romance us. Where I just fell in love with Leslie all over again, but I also fell in love with Lord through the process. And he just drew me closer to her during that time. And it was just a period that was just really exciting. Um, it was it was better than being married the first time. It really was. It was. Just, it was really cool. It was. It was a time where uh, I was just head over heels in love with my wife. Almost felt like for the first time, for real. And uh, during that period of time, it was like I, I remember one point uh, during that week, we were sitting there, and I mean, you got to understand me. I'm. A, I'm just a practical kind of guy. I've always bought my wife plants instead of cut flowers because they're practical. You know, you don't go. It's just. Well, anyway, it's a practical thing, okay? They live longer, okay? Anyway. and um, Leslie, so, do you like plants? Yes. I that's all that matters? <laughs> that's all that matters? She likes plants, and they were practical. But anyway, at this point, I mean, I was just so in love with her. I stopped by no, Publix, and I bought a rose, a single rose. And the thing was just like in the five and dime section. I mean, to the florist. You know, it was just like a $2 rose, and I took it home. And I stuck it in, and I gave it to her, and I was just so excited about this rose. And I just, and we put it in this little uh, crystal thing, and it just sat there. And during that time, during that week, the thing began to unfold and open. And I'll never forget, there was about, what, two, three days into this encounter, um, my wife and I just sat there, literally sat there across from the, it was in the island of the kitchen. And she sat on this side, I sat on this side. And I'll never forget, we sat there for how long, 30 minutes? For real, we sat there for 30 minutes, both looking at each other through the rows in the middle, and we were just like gazing at this thing, laughing. It was like the Lord was just like hilariously showing us how beautiful this rose was. We were, I mean, a two-dollar rose, but it turned perfectly purpley red, just beautiful. I mean, it was like the most picturesque rose you could ever imagine, and it just stayed at that unfolded spot that was just like perfect. It was, didn't go out like a carnation. You know how roses kind of get big and. I don't know, they're not pretty at that point. But this thing stayed like that for a week. And at the end of the week, it, it went bloop and died. I mean, like that, for real. But um, during that time, I'll just never forget, it was just like one of those encounters with the Lord where he just got our attention. And now we zip so Scott forward. Scott is a pilot, 
And he showed up at my house one day reading Song of Solomon. <laughs> like out of the blue. This practical plant buying so, uh, pilot staring at roses and stuff. So the Lord's doing something special, okay? So that just, to, just to put that in perspective. So give us the next chapter. And, well, what was I going to say? You, I don't you know, I cut you off. You started on something there. But, well, it was just, it was during that period of time, though, that, that uh, what else happened, happened to that week? What else happened? I think, I think what really what happened was the Lord started tenderizing our heart to him again. That we could hear his voice and we could hear him calling us that there's more. I want to show you more of me. Come closer. And it just uh, it stirred us up in a hunger that we were like, Lord, we know there's more. How do we get there? And uh, one thing led to another. And we heard of the house of prayer in Kansas City. And that they were actually going after God for the intimacy of fellowship with the Lord in a deeper way that we wanted ourselves. And we're like, somebody else is doing this. Somebody else is experiencing the intimacy with the Lord that we're experiencing here. So we thought, this is awesome. We listened to some tapes. We went out there for a conference, not this gym, but the gym before. And our hearts were awakened to more of God and just that he longed for us. I think that's what it was. Our hearts were like, God, we want more of you, but we never had experienced that he wanted more of us. We always thought we're after him, but he was after our hearts the whole time. So you're going along, you're living life, you're doing the pilot thing, you got the family, you got four kids, everything's cool, but God just begins to just breathe on you, and all of a sudden you realize, man, I've, we've got to get a greater depth of the Lord. We have to have intimacy. Yeah, it was, it was to the point where... That was actually, when I started out this story, it was actually at that point, that's when I began to get depressed. I mean, like almost like clinically depressed. I mean, I was just like, I was unbearable to live with because I touched the, the sweetness and the tenderness of the Lord. He was talking to us. I mean, we more, heard more during that prophetic week than I think I've heard in my entire Christian walk. I mean, just prophetically. I mean, so the Lord was wrecked. speaking that wrecked, totally. All right, okay, so, and then, so let's, go, let's fast forward a little bit. Okay. Because if every week takes oh, five minutes, we're going to take a long time. Oh, so you ended up moving to Kansas City. How did that happen? Because they ended up moving to Kansas City. Okay, that was a, a cool part of it. That's what I was getting to. Cool. Okay. Um, so at that point, I mean, I was just like totally shipwrecked on this thing. And, and the Lord, uh, I, I was flying out. I was flying from Atlanta to San Diego. And on my way to San Diego, it was kind of undercast. And I was looking down on my little pilot thing there in front of me. And there's a little thing, KMCI, that's Kansas City, and it's right down off there. And I could see it in the distance just kind of glowing out there. And I was just like muttering to Lord, like, oh, Lord, you know, if, if I could just, man, if I could just give up everything and just like move out there, it would be the most awesome thing. And I just, I just felt like at that point it was like the Lord... I mean, how did that work? Well, really what happened was the, the night before, I was talking to him on the phone, and he it's was very really... very practical pilot. Can't he, finish the sentence. Was, no, Go ahead, Leslie. He was really down in the dumps. And I said, honey, you need to get with God, because we knew we were in transition. You know how you, you're in transition, and it's uncomfortable. And you know God's getting ready to do something, but you don't know where the path is. And that was the night before. And so I hung up the phone. I was just, you know, we were trying to sell our house. It wasn't selling. And the next day I was scrubbing the toilets and I'm like, Lord, I'm sick of cleaning this house because people could come in any time. We're trying to sell it. And I just thought, you know, I felt like the Lord said, you're just supposed to move out to Kansas City. Just leave your house and move out to Kansas City. So I call him or he calls me on the phone. I said, you know, I think we're supposed to just move out to Kansas City. He goes, incredible. The Lord was speaking to me up in the airplane the same time we're supposed to do it. 
So within 10 days, we packed it up and we moved. The prayer partner. Oh, oh yeah. Well, well, yeah. That's that's neat. One of my dear friends came like right after we said, "Yeah, we're doing it," and you could feel the joy just releasing. It's like that's it. That's the transition. We're going. We're going to Kansas City. And my good friend drives up in the driveway to to pick up the boys. And I said, I can't talk anymore. Are we really doing this? And he said, yes. And I said, okay, well, I'm not going to tell her. So she comes to the door. And I said, you've got to pray for us. We're, we're getting ready to do something big. And she goes, I know what it is. You're moving to Kansas City, aren't you? And so it was like the confirmation was right there. So we were just like rejoicing. Got to go out to Kansas City. It was an incredible invitation that the Lord had allowed us to get in an uncomfortable place so that we could go and sit in his presence. And I wouldn't have traded it for the world to be in this place to spend time with, with God. But with it, I mean, here's the really cool part is we were so excited about this and so sure that the Lord's hand was on us. Within seven days, we were in Kansas City with our U-Haul unpacking it. Seven uh, days. They'd already moved now. We had already seven moved days within later. seven days of hearing the Lord say this. I mean, I had still had to come back from that trip and like talk about this thing with my wife. And for real, we were doing this within 48 hours of saying yes to the call of the Lord. He put eighty thousand dollars into our bank account supernaturally. I mean, people didn't even know about. It. I mean, just boom, boom, boom. We and how just, long had you been trying to sell your house? And we had been trying to sell our house for about six months with absolutely no success. I mean, and, and nothing. And then when you said, "Okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to sit in the house of prayer," then how long did it take to sell it? Seven days later, we were in Kansas City. It was Christmas Eve. We were unpacking our boxes. Uh, what was it? Two weeks after, ten days. Ten days after we had moved out there, we got a phone call. Your house is under contract. Two weeks later, it was closed. And that was another, you know. On top of that, I mean, so it was a cherry on top. So within, yeah, within three weeks, it was sold. So you sold. massively rearrange your life to go sit in a prayer room. Yes. Yes. Just and, said and yes to the Lord. Was it, was it worth it, or what was the deal? Oh, it was, it, it was the most awesome time because it was, it was what our hearts were longing for, but we just, in our heads, were like, oh, that'll never work. How could we ever get out there? And next thing we know, oh, here's the cool thing, is... Leslie was homeschooling the four kids we have at that time. And we're like, how is she going to go to school and do all this? Well, part of that money that, gave, that the Lord dropped into us was enough for us to get in. And within, well, we got out there the day before Christmas, January, what, 3rd? We had our kids enrolled in private Christian school right down the street. I mean, it was like, and same curriculum we were using, everything. I mean, God just, all the little details. I mean, it was like next to impossible to find a house out there. The Lord just found one right in the right spot, key. It was real close to the place. I mean, everything. It was just so cool. So, I mean, this is a very unusual story because every area of their life just clicked perfectly into, I mean, just, you know, all the moons aligned and everything was perfect. But what would you tell somebody that's saying, you know, I... I I think I'd like to do the house of prayer thing, maybe, if the Lord would make the way. I mean, is it worth it? What would you tell that person that's kind of just toying with the idea? I, in my heart, Billy, this is the deal. It's saying yes to the Lord before you figure it out. Because for us, that's really what it was all about. It was like the Lord was saying, try me in this area. He's saying, do this thing, say yes, and I'll take care of the rest. And he did. And I've seen people. I've seen people come out to Kansas City, and they're like, oh, I want to do this with all my heart, but I don't know how to figure all this out. And they never end up connecting. And it's the ones that just come out, show up with $2 in their pocket, the Lord makes a way, and it just works out. And it's just saying yes to the Lord. It's really the faith walk. Stepping out and just believing that the Lord's saying this to you and just stepping into it. Let's see, what would you say? 
Oh, I wouldn't have traded it for anything. It's, it's been a wonderful adventure with the Lord. You know, it's an exciting place because you can spend time with the Lord. You can hear things and you can go out as a woman or a man into the marketplace and you've heard from God. So you know where you're going. You know that you're going to have divine connections. And it's a precious time to be able to, to say yes to the invitation of the Lord. So I'd say go for and it. So we're not in Kansas City. You know, we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> so, but we're in Atlanta. What about that? I mean, do I have to go to Kansas City, or is this worth it here? No, God's, God's doing this work. God is birthing this house. This is his house in this place for us, for each one of you to come and meet with him. That's what this is. You don't have to go anywhere else. He's brought it to you. What a gift. Yeah. He's brought it here. Don't, hey, you yeah. can go there, but <laughs> this is it. And, 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 and come with expectations every time you come here because he's here. He's establishing this. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Would you guys give them a hand clap? Okay. I missed him last week, so I wanted to give him double time this week. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. I want to briefly look at a scripture, a couple of scriptures here in Luke 2. Amazing. Look at verse 36, Luke 2. This is uh, about this woman, Anna, a powerful prophetess and intercessor. It says, verse 36, Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. This woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple. But she served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of Him, that's Jesus, to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. This Anna is an amazing figure. She's a, in, in our world, she's one of our heroes. She, if, you, if you do the math, she spent about 60 years night and day in fasting and prayer. And to me, the, the real important word there is, uh, the Bible says she served the Lord. That's the, word where we, that's the uh, Greek word where we get the word deacon from. It's talking about a valid ministry of night and day fasting and praying before the Lord. And the Lord says, if you'll, if you'll get before me night and day, He says, I will call it valid and I will call it ministry unto me. And the interesting thing about Anna was that she wasn't just an intercessor, though that's the root of who she was, but from that place of gazing on the beauty of the Lord, uh, this prophetic ministry arose from her life. When she had more than just a revelatory ministry, she had a power ministry. And that's what the prophetic is. It's all the activity of the Spirit of the Lord flowing through a human vessel. And so she was an intercessor, but she was a prophetess, and she was an evangelist because she went and told all those who were looking for Jesus about him. She began to, to share about Jesus abroad with everyone. And here's what we believe. We believe right now that the Lord, in a very real way, is releasing the same anointing that was upon Anna, upon many in his church right now. There's, a, there's an unsettling going on, just like what you heard with the Kellers, where their hearts are saying, there must be more. There's got to be something more. 
And God is stirring their hearts. And there's this unsettling happening. And, and what he's saying is he's, he's drawing you into this place where you say, okay, I must have more of God. And, and, and he gets you to this place where there's this groan and this ache on the inside of you. And then he anoints you like Anna to spend the, the prime time of your life before the Lord in fasting and prayer unto the manifestation of the fulfillment of the Great Commission. We just believe this, that the first commandment put in first place, loving the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, if we put that in first place, the second commandment, which is love your neighbor as yourself, that's, that's ultimately, that's the Great Commission. If you put the first commandment in first place, that the second commandment, the great commission, the great commandment will, if you do that in the right order, when you, when you give yourself to God in intimacy and fasting and prayer, the great commission will be fulfilled with much greater effectiveness. What we see a lot of times in church work is we run off to try to do the great commission without having the great commandment. Loving the, the Lord. And so then we have a, a, a wrong expression of who He is to people because our hearts aren't alive in love with Jesus. And so what we feel like is this, that at the end of the age, the Lord is placing this anointing, this Anna anointing upon people. He's, he's causing their hearts to ache for reality and intimacy. And He's saying, I want to place an anointing upon you and make you valid in the place of fasting and prayer. And for years, many intercessory people and worship people have felt like square pegs in round holes. They've tried to figure out how they fit. How do I fit? I, I want you know, to, to be with Jesus all day, every day, but I don't see how I fit in the picture. And the Lord is saying right now, He's releasing this. He's saying, you are valid and there is a place for you to fit. And He says, I want to put an anointing on you, the same one I put on Anna, so that you can serve me in that place of intimacy with fasting and prayer unto the fulfillment of the Great Commission and the Gospel taking over the entire planet. I like it. Big picture starts in a small place. The human heart before the Lord getting energized in intimacy. So what we want to do is we want to pray for you. And this is a simple prayer. We want to pray for you if you would say, just like the Kellers, if God would make a way somehow in, all, in my life that I would say yes to, to the Anna calling. If somehow the Lord would make a way for me, you know, I don't know for sure when, where, or how, but if God would make a way, I would say yes to that calling. We just want to pray over you that the Lord would make that way for you. So if you'd say, that's me, yes, I'd like prayer for that. I just want you to stand across this room, anybody. Say, I, I just feel like I want prayer for that. Because if the Lord would make a way for me, I, I want to step into that. Good. Anyone else? Good. You may say, I don't know when, where, or how. But if God would make the, the opportunity for it, I'll do it. Great. It's interesting. Every week we have about this many stand-up. The last three weeks we've had this many stand-ups. Man, that's me. God would just make a way. So that's why this prayer is important. Because we want to release this upon you and ask God to make that way for you. Also, those of you that are standing especially... And anyone else, we're going to have an information meeting. If you, if you want to know more about the Anna Calling, if you want to know more about IHOP, if you have any other questions about what we're doing, uh, right immediately following this, me, uh, this meeting, there'll be another information meeting right in this, this room here with the glass doors. You can go in there and there'll be some people in there. You can ask them any questions you like. Good. Let's go to the Lord. Father, I thank you for every person that's standing. Lord, I thank you for the Anna anointing that you're releasing on forerunners here at the end of the age. 
And God, I'm asking right now in the name of the Lord Jesus, make a way. Make a way. Give clarity in calling and direction for these and and millions of others that you're calling. Father, I pray that you'd validate the heart of these intercessors. You'd validate their heart. You'd let them uh, come into the realization that you say their ministry is valid and good. So God, I'm asking in the name of the Lord Jesus, provide finance. In the name of the Lord Jesus, open up supernatural veins of, of supply and economics. God, I'm asking, even this moment, let the Anna anointing fall. Let that fall right now. Let it come on each of these lives, God, in Jesus' name. For real. Let there be an increase in the spirit of intercession. Let the groan, let the hunger awaken in their heart, God. Now. Now. Right now. Holy Spirit, confirm, I pray, for dreams, visions, revelations, prophetic words, angelic encounters. I pray for a confirmation of this calling in the lives of each one standing. Lord, we thank you for it. It's in the name of Jesus. Everybody that agreed said amen. Amen. You may be seated. Great. I want to encourage you, if you, if you stood, I want to encourage you, uh, go to the information meeting. I think, Scott, Leslie, are you guys going to be in there? Or you'll be in and out, Jamie. Some of you guys will be in there. So go in, go in there and ask some questions. You know, I stood up and I felt something. I don't know. But just ask some questions. Let them tell you their story. And, and, and you'll see. You know, the Lord will, will begin to confirm things to you. I think it's really good. It could be here. It could be Indianapolis. It could be Chicago. It could be Kansas City. There's all sorts of these little houses of prayer bubbling up all over the place. And, and God is certainly bub- bubbling up a prayer movement all across the planet right now. So we want to encourage you in that. In, in that thing that you sense in your heart. Good. Well, good. We want to take up an offering. Amen. All right. Here I go again. We believe the offering should be the most joyful time of the service. In America, the offering generally is the least joyful time because everybody gets their fists all clenched up and white knuckle and they're going to try to take my money. We don't, we don't need your money. The Lord will supply for us. But you know what? We need to participate with the Lord in finance out of a joyful heart as an extension of our worship. It's interesting in the West, we have a little bit of a negative attitude about giving because we've seen people get burned. I mean, that's, that's real. But we're the richest country in the, in the world. We're the richest country in the world. We should give like crazy. And instead, you can feel it as soon as the offering is mentioned in most services, it kind of just goes down. You know what I'm saying? It's just the funeral part of the service. So I don't think that's the way it should be. I don't think that the offering should be the funeral part of the service. I think the offering should be the, the joyful part of the service. I think, man, we get to give to God. Are you kidding? How does that work? Unbelievable Lord, that you'd allow me to give something to you. This is amazing. And so I think we should be able to give with joy and happiness and, and with a, a worship and praise in our spirit. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take up an offering. And I just want to tell you, we are in the middle of a building program. And we've uh, sensed real strongly from the Lord that, that we've got a mandate 
That we're going to pay for this thing debt free. We're not going to try to borrow money. We're not going to go into debt. We're not going to put the house of prayer under a burden of debt. And we're believing the Lord. And I I know God is supplying it. Because zeal for his house has consumed him. And he will build his house of prayer. And so we're convinced of it. So we're raising about uh, $750,000 right now. In our first year, before we actually even landed in Atlanta, we raised about 15% of that. And it's just amazing how God poured out. But you know what? We need still about 80%, 85% to see that building debt-free. And you know what else? We are in a position right now where we could very um, easily see the house of prayer in this room already at our limit of what we're able to do in this facility by January, February, March time frame. That's, uh, I mean, that's pretty unbelievable. I thought, oh, we could probably live in this you know, building a couple, two, three years maybe. We're looking at like March where we're maxing out our hours, what we're able to do in this facility. You know what that means? That means the Lord is going to supply the finances. And He's going to use you. And how cool is that? So, and, you, and then you can be happy about it. And that's fun. And so we're going to take up an offering. So what I want to do is I want to pray. And here's what we're going to do. The, the band, the worship team, they will start playing a, a praise song. I think they're playing a, a real happy song today. And, um, and so we're going to give in a happy way. And I think that's just the way we ought to do this. I was in a youth meeting, and I saw 800 young people give $17,000. 800 teenagers at the end of a youth camp give $17,000 because they decided to give joyfully. The spirit of giving came on their heart, and they just began to release. And out of teenagers, I mean, it was just phenomenal. So we're going to pray, and then the worship team is going to sing a song. And then about halfway through the song, ushers, just come on up. Don't have to wait for me. Just come on up. And once the ushers come on up, I want to encourage you to come and give. And when you do, when you come and give, give joyfully. You may want to give with a hop and a skip and a dance in your step. You may want to spin on up and spin on back. You may want to praise Him, however you want to do it. I just want to encourage you to do it joyfully. Amen. We're all missionaries. I raise my support this offering doesn't go to, to anybody up here. This helps us pay for our, our weekly thing and, and um, pay for the building. So um, don't, don't, you know, don't get that thing on you where you're, I don't know, they want my money. No, no. God will pay our bills, but I think it would be good for you to joyfully uh, partner with the Lord in giving. I think this is good ground. So we're going to pray and we're going we're gonna to praise. And then we're going to praise and give. And then we'll be done and then we'll preach. Okay. So Lord, we love you. God, we thank you. I'm glad, God, that we're getting a revival in the offering time. I'm tired of dead offering moments, Lord. So, I'm praying, God, that you give us a a joyful spirit to give, a praise in our hearts, to bless you, God. That we'd release joyfully with a glad heart, not out of compulsion, God, but out of a a joy and and a, and a, a sense of the love of God in our hearts. So, Lord, right now I'm asking you, release In Jesus' name, finance and economics. Help, God, establish the house of prayer. By your zeal, God, make it come to pass. We give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. All righty. Find Hosea chapter 2. Don't you appreciate the worship team? They're doing so good. Can you give him a little bit more appreciation than that? It's a little bit more. They are doing so good. I, oh, man. Great. Hosea 2. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come right now.
Would you anoint every ear, anoint every heart? Would you anoint me to speak clearly, easily to be understood? Would you, Holy Spirit, teach and instruct us right now on the way? Teach us in righteousness. Holy Spirit, I'm asking, would you come? Would you visit this house? Visit this little group of people you've gathered together? Would you kiss us? Your presence, kiss us with your word. The spirit of wisdom and revelation now come. The word of God penetrate our heart like fire. Would you break in, God, even this place, interrupt. Even interrupt us, Lord. Shine light, the light of your countenance. Shine it forth, Lord Jesus. And God, we, we praise you, we thank you. We thank you for your love. Reveal your love tonight. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. I want to um, come back to Hosea 2. We, um, we've been in, a, in a, basically a series on intimacy, but really about the knowledge of God. And, and uh, our first, we started in Hosea, Hosea 2, then we went off into some other things in Paul's life and talked about the knowledge of God. And my studies this week have brought me back to Hosea 2, and these are all the same themes. And so it's, it's like one long, unending story happening right now. About the knowledge of God and intimacy with Him and with Jesus, His Son. And so Hosea, he's a pretty phenomenal uh, prophet. I don't know, I mean, I know why they call him minor prophets, but there's nothing minor about what he says. He was a contemporary of Amos, and they're both uh, Day of the Lord prophets. They're both Day of the Lord prophets. And the Day of the Lord is a time at the end of the age. Uh, and scholars, uh, some will say it's a 24-hour period, and some will say it's a thousand-year period, and some will say it's both. And I probably tend to that. For a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. I probably tend to it being both. But um, the reality is that both of these prophets are prophesying uh, about the activity of the Holy Spirit at the end of the age. Very clearly. And Amos, if you read the book of Amos, it's pretty chilling. I mean, it's, it is seriously, uh, it'll, it'll, it'll shake you. And, you know, he talks about, Woe unto you who desire the day of the Lord, for it's a day of darkness and gloom. Hello. That's, you know, that's not the one you need when you're feeling a little, de- you know, touch of depression. <laughs> you know, you need some good psalms to, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want kind of stuff. But Amos, he tends to focus on the, the judgment of God at the end of the age, in the day of the Lord. Hosea, he tends to focus on the redemption of God's people and, and the blessings. So the day of the Lord, Joel told us and Malachi both say that it's a great and a terrible day. And, and Hosea tends to give us the great side of it. And that's the redemption and the revival in God's people, whereas Amos gives us the terrible side, which is God raining down judgments on the planet and slaying the wicked all over the the nations. And so these two interesting prophets are powerful in what they're saying to us um, in in their word, in, in in their prophecies. And I believe that Hosea and Amos, that much, uh, if not all, of what's written in, in the, the, their two books are applicable applicable to today. Especially Hosea 2. Hosea 2 
has got volumes of revelation in it, and it can't be read um, slowly because it's just it's just so full, it's rich, and um, and the Lord is saying so much here, and so I want to look. Let's look at Hosea two, and um, we're going to start reading in verse fourteen. We're going to go to verse uh, twenty. And don't be afraid to say amen if I say something good. That helps. Oh, good. Thank you. And uh, look at verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness and I will speak comfort to her there. We spent a whole hour on that just a few weeks ago. I will give her vineyards from there. The valley of Achor is a door of hope. Achor means trouble. That's talking about the Lord ending the trouble for His people and bringing hope in its place. It says, she, she, sa- she shall sing there. Say that 12 times fast. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth and as in the days when she came up from Egypt. And that is talking about a powerful movement. The days that they came up from Egypt, when they came up from Egypt, there was every kind of miracle sign and wonder. There was not one that lacked in any kind of way among them. There was not one sick or feeble among them. They came out of 400 years of bondage and captivity and not one person was sick. They were broken and beaten as slaves for 400 years. And when they came up out of Egypt, not one among them was sick. I'm telling you something. The power of God exploded on the scene. And every sick person, every maimed, every person that was beaten, I believe even down to having whip scars on their back, they were healed completely. It was a a dramatic overhaul. And I believe the Lord is saying that in the days to come, we're going to see that kind of power. It says, he says it right there, as in the days when she came up from Egypt. So we can expect that whatever God did in those days, he's going to do in these days. Good. Verse 16. And it shall be in that day, in that day is the day of the Lord, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer my master. He says, for I will take from her mouth. And I love the interplay that the Lord uses here. Number one, he says, you will call me husband. And then he says, her, I will take from her mouth. He's clearly speaking about the people of God at the end of the age. The church, which is a Jewish and Gentile conglomeration, one people that Jesus has died to uh, tear down the wall of separation so that we're one. That's a mystery, but we're going to get into that later uh, times and, and understand really what this this entity the church is this this entity called the church is not simply a gentile phenomenon people hello the gospel is to the jew first and then also to the gentile okay so we're going to get into that later all right so he says i'm going to take from her mouth the name of the bales that's that means all the other masters all the other things she served all the devils and demons and they shall be remembered uh, by their names no more alcoholism shall be remembered no more. Uh, drug addiction will be remembered no more. Uh, homosexuality will be, will be remembered no more. Greed, pride, lust, all the names of the other masters of the people of God will be completely vanquished in that day. A people that's totally given to God. Oh, that's a good day. It says, in that day I will make a covenant for them. And he goes on, he says he's going to deal with creeping things. And beasts. He's going to deal with war. And he's going to give them safety. And in verse 19, he says the stunning 
off the wall, unbelievable. It's a massive statement. And I'll tell you why. And if that just keeps blinking, let's just turn it off. Because <laughs> it's going to throw me off and everybody else too. Which is fine. You guys are awesome, but technology is not a science. Okay, verse 19. Okay. <laughs> there you go. I'm too ADD for that, man, for real. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's my fault. Okay, verse 19. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. You shall know the Lord. You shall be intimate with the Lord. He says, you will be intimate with me. Just as the man Adam was intimate with his wife, you shall know me the way he knew Eve. Same word. There's a day coming when every veil, oh, beloved, every veil will be ripped from our eyes. All of the distance, all of the glass darkly, it will shatter. And when we say, I want to behold your beauty... We will get it in 3D color, not through the glass darkening, not darkly, not just an image in our spirit. For some, you know, that are gifted thusly, they, they've had heavenly encounters, but that by, by no means is the majority. A few have had those kind of encounters, but there's a day coming when we will know Him and we will see Him. For all that He is, we will gaze with your, with your eyes. In that day you will be changed, the Bible says when He comes. You will be changed and you will gaze with your eyes upon the glorified Jesus. Personally and intimately, you will have knowledge of the divine. It's an exciting day. But before that, there's this interesting thing called betrothal. Now Hosea... He's the first uh, writer in the Old Testament that reveals uh, God's nature as a bridegroom. And I went and looked, I looked uh, through every scripture I could find, and I found that Moses was actually the first to reveal God as a father. And, but Hosea is the first that reveals God as a bridegroom. And here's the thing. The, the, the predominant way that God is pictured in the Old Testament, is as Lord or Master. Lord or Master. And then this idea that Hosea comes up with, you've got to understand, you've got to put yourself in the mind of those that are, that are familiar. Think, think about yourself as one being prophesied to in Hosea's day. And you think about God primarily as Master and Lord. You know the story about when God comes on the mountain, and He's ferocious in power. He's amazing in might, and when he comes and breaks in, literally 2.2 million Jews run the other direction. Exodus 19. 2.2 million, they, they get, God begins to speak, and, and they are absolutely blown away with uh, the awe and the fear of the majesty of who God is. They are absolutely you know, rocked to their core. And they 2.2 million I think, I think, you know, the Lord's kind to us, and he's, he, he just says they drew back. 
Yeah, I bet they drew back. <laughs> I bet they drew back about as fast as they could draw. They were running. And the man Moses, the Bible says, he walks into the midst of it. And he says, when the trumpet blast was loud, <laughs> Moses spoke. It always makes me wonder, Moses, what were you eating for breakfast, buddy? Because whatever you had, I need to get a little something of that. He walked, Moses walks in when 2.2 million are running away. And so, the Jews in the Old Testament, they're familiar with the ferociousness of God and the, the power of God, and they're familiar with the law, and they understand God um, as a master and a Lord, but they've got no concept. You've got, you've got to wrap your mind around this. Zero concept. It's the very first time it's ever said, no concept of God being a husband. He says, I will betroth you to me. You will no longer call me my master. You will call me husband. The, the revelation of that is stunning. I mean, they were like, how, how? We're going we're gonna to marry the God that parted the Red Sea? We're going to marry the God that shook the mountain. They knew all the stories. We're going to marry the God that when Moses got in front of him, he, his face shone like, like a searchlight. We're going to marry that God. He says, oh yeah. Yeah, because that's really who I am. It's interesting because if you look at the Old Testament, you try to figure out how God reveals himself as a father. He doesn't call himself father, but you know what he does? He gives us three generations of fathers and says, I'm the God of those guys. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And all over the Old Testament, God says, I am the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he gives us three... It's like he's got nothing to point to, so he raises up three generations of godly fathers, points to them and says, okay, so you can understand my nature, I am the God that's the God of those guys. I'm a father. And that's really what he was trying to say to them through Moses. He said, look, I'm a father. I'm leading you out. Listen, listen, children of Israel, just follow me. I mean, I'm a father to you. And Moses, Moses is kind of like, when you read Moses, he kind of like rebukes him. He's like, didn't you guys get it? He loves you like a father. Don't you get it? That's why he led you out. He loves you like a father. And, and they're just like, I don't know. Here, Hosea goes and tips the scales a whole nother, I mean, a whole nother way. He says, you know what? He's, he's not just master. He's husband. Just let that sink in for a minute. Put yourself in that person that had never even considered that. He's Lord to them. He's master only. Father's hard to grasp. And then Hosea goes, oh, by the way, this thing is about really that he loves you like a husband. And at the end of the day, you're going to know him like Adam knew Eve. <laughs> I mean, that's bewildering. And so I, I'm looking at this thing and I'm going, Wow. And then he says this incredible statement, verse 19. And he has to say it twice, because you can imagine. I, I just, I'll fill it in for you. He says, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me. He goes, I'm going to marry you and we'll be married forever. And you can kind of hear the people go like, huh? How's that going to happen? He goes, no, no, for real. I really will marry you. He says it again, like double emphasis, just to get it in our head. Can you imagine those in that first, at, at the very first hearing of that? They're like, you're going to betroth. 
that means we're getting married forever. And he goes, yeah, 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 I'm doing that. I will betroth you to me, for real. The Lord is so kind. I look at that word betrothed. That word, that word is an interesting word. That word is only used in relationship to a man uh, marrying a virgin. That's all it's used for. It's never used... Uh, it's, it's, it, the Jewish term is never used when it has to do with a woman who's been widowed and never, definitely never used uh, in relationship to a woman that's being restored from a, a prostitution or, or a lifestyle of sin. It is only ever used uh, in relationship to a, a young man marrying a virgin. And So I want to just draw your attention. Look at um, verse 13. I want, you, I want to put this in real, real crystal clear context for you. It says, I will punish her. He says, I'm going to bring divine discipline to my people for the days of the Baals to which she burned incense. She decked herself with earrings and jewelry and she went after her lovers. But she forgot me, says the Lord. So I'm bringing her divine. So I'm bringing my my people divine discipline because here, here's what he's saying: they entered into demon worship, and they were burning incense to demons. And he's not against women wearing jewelry. Don't go there. But what they would do is they would paint themselves and they would masquerade and they wear earrings and all sorts of jewelry and and all sorts of they paint their faces up and then they would have these these uh, rituals where they would burn incense to demons. And this wasn't fake. This was for real. This is when, 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 it, when he talks about, oh, wayward nation, you're playing the harlot. That's what they were doing. You know, the Asherah poles and those things and the high places, that's what they would do at those high places. They would have, you know, seances and, and worship devils. So get the picture. How wayward the people of God were. So he goes, he goes you know what? I know. And see, they were worshiping real demons that gave them real power and had, had real stuff going on, real supernatural activity. And he goes, you know what? I know that you've played the harlot. He goes, but at the end of the day, I'm going to do something for you. He goes, I'm going to betroth you to me. He goes, I will not treat you as a harlot that I'm just simply restoring. He goes, I only look at you like a virgin. And you and I will be married, my people. That's what he's saying. He goes, my beloved, you and I will be married. He goes, and I won't, I won't hold it over your head. He goes, it's not even about that. It's, it's about this. You're a virgin as far as I'm concerned. I mean, that's a good word for you. <laughs> that's a good word for me. All the ridiculous, stupid stuff I've done B.C. and after Christ. <laughs> Come on. I mean, and he goes, you know what? It's not even about that for me. He goes, it's about this. I love you with a husband's passion. He goes, and, and, and so he says, and I can easily say to you, I can easily say to you, you're a virgin. And I'll marry you just as a virgin. When you wonder if God loves you, consider, consider that. Consider these people that are worshiping demons and burning um, incense to demons and doing all sorts of manner of, you know, who God knows what. And he says, oh, all of you, the ones that were giving your children in the fire, all of you, he goes, you know what? I'm going to marry you. He goes, and you're a virgin to me. As far as I'm concerned, all of it's gone. 
he has to say it twice. I will betroth you to me. And they go, huh? Betroth? That word's only for virgins, God. You're just telling us you're going to discipline us because we worship demons. He goes, I know. I will betroth you to me. Isn't that powerful? And he uses this crazy term, forever. I will betroth you to me forever. See, that's not, I will betroth you to me and count you as a virgin so long as you're doing well. That's not, if you keep and do everything just right and you dot all your I's and cross all your T's and all your P's and Q's are in the right spot, then we'll be married. He goes, you know what? He goes, you've been wicked. I know that. He goes, slate's clean. You're a virgin and we're going to get married forever. Eternally married. Eternally married to the Lord. Like some of you are like wondering like where your seat's going to be. Don't worry. You're eternally married. Eternally. I'm, go, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me, let's talk a little bit more about this word betrothed. When he says betrothed, that's not our same thing. It's sort of like engaged, but it's not. Betrothed was a legal contract. If you, had, if you wanted to get unbetrothed, you actually had to go through divorce proceedings, even though you weren't married yet. So this is, this is like full intention on the part of God. Okay, now, now wrap, put yourself in the picture. God is not joking. This isn't some like, I think I like you thing. He goes, no, this is a done deal. He goes, you and I are going to get married. There's a marriage supper coming. And it's, it's done. It's already happened as far as God is concerned. If a couple was betrothed, they, were, they were, had to be married or they had to cancel uh, their betrothal with a legal divorce pr- proceeding. And the revelation of this is that the Lord is so desirous of us. He's so kind and so in love with us. He's willing to move all of that harlotry out no matter where you've been in life and say you're a virgin. It's powerful. Okay, good. So he says, I'm going to do this forever. He says, I'm going to marry you forever. Forever. Eternally joined to the divine. So this is what he's saying is this, that there is going to be a complete partnership of you with the Lord. Now I want you to, I want you to wrap your mind around this. God is perfect. Completely holy. Totally other than. He's without an equal. I mean, no one's even close to the Lord. Not even sort of close. And God goes, okay, you know what I will do? I will take that which is finite and join myself to you. I am infinite and perfect. And I know you are finite and broken. But at the end of the day, I want you so bad, it doesn't even matter. Can you, think, can you consider the, the divine humiliation that God has to do to lower himself to marry us? It's the same thing he asked Jose to do. He said, Jose, I want you to be a sign and a wonder. He goes, go marry Gomer. Gomer was a harlot. He said, Jose, be the message. So Jose goes out and does it. And the Lord says, you know what? It's what I'll do. He goes, treat her like she's a virgin. He goes, oh, that's what I'm going to do with my people. And, and, and so God supremely humbles himself. 
he, he, he puts himself under divine humiliation to partner. And that's what's, that's what's bizarre. He doesn't make you like eternally like a, a house servant. Like that would be way good enough. I mean, for real, you know, like you get to like serve the Lord all day, you know, and he's perfect, he's wonderful, he's amazing, and you get to like be around him all day. I mean, the angels, all they can do is say holy. I mean, it would be enough just to be around. He goes, no, I'm not, we're going to do more than that. He goes, you and I will be partners, married. Huh. That's awesome. And so you got this, on one hand, you got this ma- massive divine humiliation. And on the other hand, you've got this incredible dignity that he gives you and I. See, that's, when, when you see people, young people especially, and, and they have no worth for life. They have no concept why they're alive. They're alive, they've been created so God could love them and eventually actually even partner with them. He says, you, I gave you breath because I want to give you dignity forever. Dignity forever. He goes, I'll take you from your human, broken human state, your lowly human state, and I will raise you up and put you in a place of partnership with God. Can you imagine the dignity of that? Do you know, we are not like the apes. We are not like animals. We are going to eternally partner with God. Do you understand the dignity that God has placed in humanity? We are, that is such, oh, that is so blasphemous. That people say, oh, you and the apes, you're just the same thing. That is a lie. We interrupt this programming for a station identification break. That thing is such a lie that we would be equal to the apes. Because God says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to partner with you. I am perfect. I am holy. And I desire you and I want you. And better than that, I will make you my wife. It's powerful. Eternal betrothal is eternal partnership of the mortal with the divine. The infinite with the finite. He is infinite and he's going to marry us. I don't think we get it. I don't think we get it, beloved. That's an oh, that's such an amazing reality. He says, and this is what I can I just kind of hear the Lord saying through this all. He says, he says, I desire you. I want you. I can just hear him say, I want you for eternity. I want you forever. He said, I've searched everywhere and I found the one that's the eternal object of my affection, and it's you. So won't you marry me? This is the Lord speaking. So won't you marry me? Won't you say yes to me so we can be joined forever? Oh, it's powerful. You know, we, we say this. We say, uh, until death do us part when we get married. And in some of the other marriage ceremonies, they say, until, or, as long as we both shall live. The Lord says, you're betrothed to me forever. He goes, you are betrothed to me as long as we both shall live. Beloved, that's forever. It's eternally. What is that, what is that going to look like? He's got no beginning. Okay? Like, like, let's just consider the attribute of God for a minute. The attributes of God. He's got no beginning. He dwells in unapproachable light. He's seated on a throne which is the epicenter of all created order. 
He is the most powerful. I mean, not just a little bit more powerful than like the next powerful guy. Like, there's nothing that's even close to him. He's perfect, and he's love. He's perfect love. What is that? What is eternal partnership with him going to be like? Come on, that'll make you want to live right. That'll make you want to just say no to everything that could possibly hinder that experience. What, consider this. What is being loved? What is being loved by the God who is love? What is that experience like? He's not like just a good lover. Like a little better than the next one. He is love. He's like the supreme champion of love, okay? What is being loved? What is having your heart touched and moved by him like? What's that like? We get it forever, forever. Eternally betrothed. He says, I will betroth you to me forever. I'm barely touching that subject. See, what we need is we need a reality of eternity imprinted upon our hearts. We've got to get past the day in and the day out and what this earth is trying to offer us and all the different things it's trying to shove down our throat to draw our attention away from this one who says, I want you, I desire you. And not just for a one night stand, he goes, I want you forever. I want to join my perfection with you. I want to join my infinite being with you. I desire you that much. I mean, Jesus, can you imagine... Jesus leaves heaven, all the angels watch him leave, he leaves heaven as God, and he comes back to heaven as God, and eternally God, and also forever a man. And all the angels go, how did you do that? He goes, well, there, there's these people that I, had to, I, wanted to, I, I wanted to draw them to myself, so I must have become a man, so I could die for them and show them my love. The infinite, eternal God leaves heaven as God. He's totally divine. He leaves as that way, comes back as totally divine still, and he's a man. And all the angels are going like, what? He goes, oh yeah, and I'm going to marry them. What? This is awesome. I love Hosea too. And so he goes through and he gives us five different Aspects. I'm only going to touch one of them. Five different aspects of the betrothal. He says, I'm going to betroth you to me forever. I'll betroth you to me. In righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and in mercy, I will betroth you to me. In faithfulness. And then he says that crazy one, and you shall know the Lord. We're crying out night and day for the knowledge of God. He says, you want to know me? It's in the revelation that I want to know you. It's in the revelation that I'll, I'll eternally be your husband. It's in, it's in the bridal uh, paradigm that you, you'll understand my heart beating for you. So I'm just going to cover righteousness. You know, Psalm 89:14 says this, that righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. And mercy and truth go before your face. And then Isaiah 16, 5. I just wanted to throw this in. I thought it was an interesting scripture. It's, listen to this. It says, in mercy, in mercy the throne will be established and one will sit on it in truth. Now get this. This is a future throne that's going to be established. I believe this is on the planet. It says, in mercy the throne will be established. One will sit on it in truth. Where? In the tabernacle of David. 
If you, if you know your timelines, this is Isaiah prophesying. This is past, way past any operative tabernacle of David. So there's one that's going to sit on this throne that's going to be established where in the tabernacle of David, it's a future tabernacle of David, he's going to do this. He's going to judge and he will seek justice and he will hasten, hasten righteousness. I thought that was a cool scripture. Maybe you want to study that one. Isaiah 16, 5. Very cool. So, he says, number one, I'm going to betroth you to me in righteousness. Now, here's the thing. Here's where I want to go. This is really what I want to spend the rest of the time on. We um, have, I think, a really wrong concept of what righteousness is even all about. When we think of righteousness, we generally think of, you know, people that are like goody-goodies, and they got their list of do's and don'ts, and they never do anything wrong, and that's basically righteous. And many times we think that the people are righteous, they're the ones that have got the sour look on their face because they're holy. They're, they're righteous and, and they don't, you know, they don't spit and chew or hang around with those that do. They're just righteous. And, and we, I just think we've got such a wrong idea of what righteousness is really about. We have no concept of what real righteousness is about. So turn over to Isaiah 62 and I'll just show you this. And we're going to land here, we'll end here. See, I know when I'm talking about betrothed forever, I'm going like real slow with it, and I'm just I'm hitting it all over, over and over and over and over. It sounds like I'm just being redundant. But do you know what? If you if you just blow past the, the fact that you're betrothed to God forever, and you go, oh, I'm betrothed forever, you have got no clue. You have got no understanding of that at all. Neither do I. We have got to, we have got to go deep in the in the understanding of what that means. This God loves us so much, He would marry us forever. It's unbelievable. I mean, that just gives you such insight into the passions, the desires of his heart for you. Says, I found one that I want to give myself to forever. You're it. So Isaiah 62, the first five verses, it gives us, I, I think this is a very a, a companion chapter in many ways to Hosea 2. And, um, and so look here in verse 1, it says, For Zion's sake I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. I will not rest. Why? Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness. Righteousness goes forth as brightness. And her salvation as a lamp that burns. You hear this term, burning and shining lamps. That's what we're talking about. People that are glowing radiantly with the righteousness of God. A burning and shining lamp. Verse 2, he says, the Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And then he makes this interesting comment. He goes, you're going to be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will name. So I'm going to rename you. Doesn't that sound like Hosea too? He goes, I'm going to betroth you. You're not, you're not a harlot, you're a virgin. He says, I'm going to give you a new name because I'm going to rename you. And verse 3 says, and you're going to be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord. Even a royal diadem. He said, you're going to be an incredible, beautiful jewel, only fit for a king, in the hand of your God. He goes, and you will no longer be called forsaken, nor shall your land any more be termed desolate. He said, but you shall be called Hephzibah, and your land Beulah. Yeah, for the Lord delights in you. That's what Hephzibah means. And your land shall be married, and that's what Beulah means. Now look at this in verse 5, and I want to make a comment on verse 5, and I'm going to go back and talk about righteousness. For as a young man marries a virgin, 
so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. I want to draw attention to that phrase. So shall your sons marry you. I was looking at that. I thought that was weird. Um, any son that marries his mother, that's called incest. Strange. You know, I said, what is that, Lord? The sons will marry you. And I began to study that and look at some of the commentators on that. And uh, I found out that the, the, the root of that term actually means um, your repairer. Your maker. In fact, there's four or five Bible translators that they just go ahead and render it that way. And I, and I put that in there and I realized that in the construction of that little verse, if you just read it like this, which there's four or five translations that have it rendered this way. It says, as a young man marries a virgin. Now keep in mind Hosea 2, the betrothal. So shall your maker marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. See, the, the first line is the, is the analogy, and then the second line is the reality, and then again the first line is the analogy, and the second line is the reality. That I believe, honestly, I think, and I believe several commentators have it this way, I believe that that word sons is, should be... Uh, rendered repairer or, or uh, maker. And it gives, it gives a whole other um, volume of meaning to that scripture. As a young man marries a virgin, so shall your maker, your restorer, marry you. The emotion of God for you. It's powerful. And he says, and as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Beloved, we have a God that rejoices. He spins and dances and sings in joy for desire and love over you. He is that incredibly in love and passionate. And, and His pursuit of you is relentless. He is like a young man pursuing a virgin. That's God pursuing the human heart. He is after your heart because He is faint with desire for you. The Song of Solomon, He says, I am lovesick. God. It says, one look of your eye and you have absolutely undone me. <laughs> That's this God. We get to marry him. This is good. You are in a good position. Your, your Christian experience should be full of joy and happiness. You are desired by God. He is passionately pursuing you. And he's going to marry you, not for a week, forever. This is good. He says, I'm going to betroth you to me in this thing called righteousness. And see, righteousness right there, here's what it's really about. Yes, it is about holy living. Yes, it is about living properly. But it's in a revelation that God is absolutely desirous of you. And there's an eternal bond he wants to have with you. And so you say, you know what? No, I don't want sin. I want him. He desires me. I don't want filth. I want Jesus. And that's what righteousness is really about. And here's the thing about righteousness, on, on the other hand, it's this, that when a people begin to live righteously, he says, you know what? You will become radiant. You will possess beauty like nobody's ever seen before. He said, even nations will be drawn to the fact that you're righteous. Why? Because you know how to keep a list of do's and don'ts? No! Because you have um, embraced God unto reflecting the glory that he is. 
So when he says, I'm going to betroth you to me in righteousness, he's not talking about a standard for the relationship. What he's saying is, I'm going to betroth you to me by my righteousness. Or with my righteousness. He goes, in the fact that I'm beautiful and I'm dazzling, I'm holy. He goes, you know, I am righteous and I'm radiant. In the fact of that, I will betroth you to me in that reality and you too will be righteous. It's powerful, beloved. That's, oh, that's so good. That's the kind of stuff that will make you run. I mean, just like run a lap. I don't know if we've got any old Pentecostal people in here, but man, if you, if you need to run... Just, just take a lap. I mean, because that's awesome. That's what this Christian life should be about. It shouldn't be about like, you know, this is hard, man. You know, I've got all these things I want to do, but, you know, I've got to be a Christian and, uh, you know, I can't have fun. Baloney. This thing is way better than that. My goodness. Everything that this world is trying to offer you is such a sour joke of, of an excuse for anything that would touch God. You are going to be dazzling. Then when the nations are going to look at you and go, Dear God, what is that? And you're going to go, I'm in love. And they're going to go, Right! That's what this thing is about. Betrothed in righteousness. Married forever to an eternal infinite God. He goes, you know what? I will trade your finite with my infinite. And when you and I join, I will make you like me. You will be infinite too. In the revelation that you will be my wife. He goes, you know what? I will take your unrighteousness. He goes, and I will join you to me. And by my righteousness, I will betroth you to me. And guess what? Forever, you'll be dazzling in holiness. You'll be radiant. And the nations will see you. See, I believe that's the position of the church at the end of the age. And I've been saying this a lot, but that's the truth. That a beautified church, a church that's beautiful, that's living righteously, but not, not, in that, not in that legalistic thing, but a church that's living righteously in the revelation of God that loves her. That church is the greatest evangelistic tool. Isaiah 62 is clear about it. Isaiah 60 is about it. It's clear about it. That when the church has a revelation of the righteousness of God, verse 2, it says it right there, the Gentiles shall see your righteousness and the kings your glory. And in Isaiah 60 it says, they will be drawn to the brightness of your rising. A beautified church is the greatest evangelistic tool. It is the plan for, for global evangelization global evangelization at the end of the age. It is. It is the plan that the church would come into a revelation that her God loves her, He desires her, and in this revelation of betrothal, that all of a sudden she would begin to have her heart alive and wooed and allured to God, and that passions begin to move inside of her, and then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, she's absolutely alive, she's living holy, she's saying no to sin, she's going after God, she's, she's uh, you know, burgeoning with all these signs and wonders and miracles, not because, you know, she's trying to prove something. No, because she is, she's beginning to partake of the divine nature. That's what the Bible says. We are partakers of the divine nature, beloved. What does that look like? We're barely touching this thing. Our Christianity is not what it will be, I guarantee you. You know what's exciting to me? Here's what's exciting to me. These things are clear, and Jose is so clear. He's such a day-of-the-Lord preacher. He says, in that day, this is what my church will look like. And it's, it's amazing to me that we're living in a day when we're seeing these messages bubble to the surface. 
They're coming alive. The bridegroom God is coming alive. I'm convinced that Israel for years had no concept of what that meant. You are betrothed to me forever. Uh, I mean, if they really understood that, what would that have done to their emotions? What would that have done to their heart? You mean God is a, he's a husband? Oh, yeah. You mean he loves me and desires me? He goes, oh, yeah. Betrothed? You mean like a virgin? Exactly. What would that have done? I believe the Lord is he's, he's removing the scales right now. And, he, and he's, he's doing it not just you know, here or there. He's doing it all over the world. He's removing the scales and he's telling the people of God, you know what, I'm your husband. Really, really your husband. He goes, I don't so much care what you've done. He goes, oh, I'm so in love with you. I am passionately desiring you. He goes, even unto this, that I want to be joined to you forever. Because I've looked and I've looked and I've looked for one that I could love, and you're the one. And see, here's, here's what we do. And I'm closing right now. Here's what we, what we do. We go, you know what? I see that. That's the truth for the church at large. But that's not the truth for me individually. And God goes, you know what? It is so the truth for you individually. It's how I feel about you. And he, and he goes on even further and he says, you know what? You are the fairest among women. Because you're my favorite one. He says, what about the person next to me? He goes, oh yeah, you're my favorite one. <laughs> and that's the way the Lord looks at us. If we, I tell you, if we could just scratch this a little deeper, we've got to scratch this deeper. I'm just, I'm just asking God to awaken the reality of this. Betrothed in righteousness forever. Betrothed in the reality of beauty forever. He, I just believe it. He says, he goes, you know what? It's in righteousness. It's by my righteousness. It's because of my righteousness. He goes, you're going to see my beauty. It will captivate you so much that you will want to live righteously forever. Oh, we've got to get this, beloved. Okay. Let's stand. I'm just going to ask the Lord. We're just going to have a ministry time. We're going to... I'm just going to ask the Lord just to come. Witness these, these realities to our hearts. Some of us need a, a reality, a revelation of the reality of God's love for us. I mean, some of us, that's, we just got to have that right now. Some of us just, we, we need an answer from the Lord. We need an encounter with God. Some of us need a healing. But I... I, I I sense the zeal of the Lord for us. Not just us, I'm just the people of God, that's what I mean. I just sense His zeal and His desire to reveal this to our hearts. Betrothed. Oh, that word. Eternally with Him. Betrothed forever. He says, yes, betrothed. You are a virgin. You are clean. You are pure. He says, I don't look at you like a whore. He says, I look at you like a virgin. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to come right now. Come right now. I'm praying that you would witness to our heart the desire that you have for us. Holy Spirit, witness the desire the desire of God for us. I pray 
that we begin to see ourselves not as a puppet or a pawn that God will use for another end, but we will see ourselves in the mind of God as the end. We are the object that He desires. Beloved, you are the end. You are not something that God wants to use unto an end. You are the end for the Lord. 